Here we are. This is another of the Cood Street podcasts that Jonathan Strawn and I have been doing now since March. It's coming on seven, eight months. I don't know. And today I'm delighted to be able to talk to multiple Hugo Award winning Asimov's editor, Sheila Williams, who we spent a delightful week with in Ireland last year. So Hi, Gary. It's, I'm so happy to. Well, it's been quite a year. Um, and I know that uh, in New York, I guess it was probably more stressful back in March and April than it is now. Oh, my God. It was terrible. In March, well, in April, um, I was hearing sirens nonstop, and I really thought my entire zip code was dying. And but what it, it was what it really turned out was that I'm a block away from a nursing home that the virus got into and um, 65 of the people there died. So that's why I was hearing nonstop sirens. But actually, otherwise, in our zip code, only 10 other people died, which is all tragic. But it is. It had, yeah, it had sounded worse because we weren't leaving the house. We didn't know what was going on. So it really was. It was quite unnerving. I would imagine it's much uh, different now. Much different. Oh, yeah. Uh, although it's I gather there's still an issue in, in some communities in Brooklyn and that sort of thing. But um, yeah. I, 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 I guess you were at the beginning of the news cycle by the time it really got to me in chicago it had been on the news and we were kind of waiting for it but it must have been a shock to to have that spike at the very beginning of the outbreak oh it was terrible and i was so you know i had a high school senior who had to miss everything prom we actually went out and bought her prom dress just before everything shut down i kind of had a bad feeling but i also wanted to have that experience with her so of course the ha- the prom dress is hanging there on the hanger unused. No and no 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 virtual prom. No uh, no vir- they had a virtual graduate it wasn't. Yeah I know. Um and now she's in virtual college so it's all there. Um yeah it was pretty it was it was like a hammer it's unbelievable I you know it's it was hard it's kind of hard to describe. I um, yeah I can't, can't imagine. Well the question is that uh, are, are you. Were you or are you still able to get any useful reading done? One of the things that people people always want to know about the editor of Asimov's is do you ever read anything except submissions? It's hard. It's hard to get a lot of time tons, and I'm always behind. Um, but I am currently with fun books, a book by Patty Van called The Right, which is about the young it's a historical novel about the younger sister of Wilbur and Orville Wright. Oh really? Um, yes, yeah, so right it's, sister it's, isn't W R I G H. Yes, yes, exactly. W R. And um, it's funny because this book is an story type novel, a historical novel. But uh, last year I published a story, Smale, inspired the same source material. So, uh-huh. um, so it's interesting to compare. You know, they're both really good, but for totally different stories. You know, completely different. Allen's was an alternate history. Um, right. But. The author, Patty Dan, is speculating, too, in a, even though it's a mainstream novel, she doesn't actually, these letters don't really exist. Um, and then a lovely collection of stories by Sherry Renee Barr Blue. That's quite a, a lovely book. I'm gotta, I do need to find more time, both, of, you know, to get for myself. I'm also reading stacks. <laughs> right. Um, so, so is there any, is, is there anything that you consider comfort reading or anything you'd recommend for people during a stressful period? Uh, you know, I was thinking about that. I don't know. I was thinking that Connie Williams Day, <laughs> perhaps a little dark, but definitely isn't um, anything by Suzanne Palmer, I think, would be a good way of um, uh-huh. sort of suspending your not having to worry about, because she writes um, far fewer. There's a, 
you know, they're very humane and fun. And so that'd be a good way to not think about some of the more nerve-wracking issues of today. Um, well, you you mentioned Doomsday Book, and I had it not it had not occurred to me. Somebody else had mentioned that in terms of the plague, but the the twenty first century Oxford historians are suffering something very much like that. Yes, uh, the flu pandemic. I, yes, it's terrible. I'd forgotten that that's a major part of that plot. Okay, so. I think instead of comfort reading, I spend a lot of time news sites and newspapers. That's the opposite of comfort reading. I know, I know. I feel like it's very hard. To, I do, you know, I do think it may help sometimes. Or, um, uh-huh. It's hard to say that I've, I haven't really had time to, you know, the comfort read because I am so busy. Oh, sure. Um, but I, you know, as I say, the Doomsday is a book I, I read years ago, and I would definitely reread it now with pleasure. Um, and then... Uh, you know, I just uh, maybe another book that is Sarah Pins, oh, her recent novel that was about the that's about the oh yeah the um, you know the music well how how song how, song for a new day right right and how sort of a plague pa- uh, like a pandemic has changed things um, and um, you know there's a lot of read I, I uh, and of course a copy of Asima or <laughs> that's a um, entanglement the be- uh, yeah tell us about entanglements that's a fascinating topic for a for an MIT anthology of all things. Yes, yeah, so Entanglement's latest volume in MIT's 12 Tomorrows and five others, and they were all just 12 Tomorrows. Tomorrows. Wow. And, uh, but uh, the acquiring editor at MIT Press um, asked me if I'd be interested in doing it, and this was the first time they wanted to have a themed anthology. And so I worked with her and, and with Tech Review, and so to come up with the ultimate theme was relationships, how technology, science and technology affect future relationships, whether they were family, lovers, mm-hmm. or friends. So uh, the tagline, I'm inspired by today's emerging technology. And there we, there was, a, to some extent, positive and hopeful. They didn't all have it. There, there was, you know, definitely encouraged the authors to think about futures that gave us a hope of tomorrow and to get out of you know that things would be better and of course these stories were all written for the pandemic before right COVID-19 existed but they are they are the near future you know a lot of really positive but some of it's dark I'm not saying uh-huh. it's all you know there's a CRISPR story by Andy Crest that definitely leaves you wondering what the next steps go. that's um, very timely given the Nobel Prize just a couple of days isn't it? I was like, oh, wow. She nailed that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a really great proposal. It's sort of, it's got so much technology. It's really interesting. But the story is, is about like um, quack science. Also, a love potion does it uh. based on mole. It's, um, but it's a really charming story. And then another one um, topical, Nick Wolven's story, Sparkly, uses virtual, has virtual learning. <laughs> at home uh-huh. and i thought wow that was pressed it's pretty interesting um uh so the book is interesting forward thinking story with a and, lot you know with way of how to work together i to think the the, and, then, and the focus on relationships strikes me as sort of catching up with uh with something that science fiction has been accused of for a long time of not not dealing much with families or or relationships or domestic things it was an issue that it, it comes up in histories of feminist science fiction when Judith Merrill was writing novels about families or short stories about families. In the early 50s, she was practically the only one. Right. You know, and of course, I gave them a, I gave the authors a lot of, you know, there are about yeah. 
people's 30s. But then there are stories of grandparents, children, the, they did really address a broad range of relationships. There's this, again, going back to Sparkly Bits, it's a, a co-op of mothers who are basically bought into this co-op to raise boys. And um, because these are very hard, except for the uh-huh. birth mother, they're all very high-powered, high-charging women who don't have to have their own kid, but want to be involved with a child. And um, and then Suzanne Palmer's high school is coping with technology their parents have, the controls, what news they're allowed to, what words they're allowed to hear. It's kind of a terrifying... You know, it does sound only, scary, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's only... News that with your political opinion, your kids could only how how would that affect their so it's basically um, like locking a kid in a room for a year and having them watch nothing but Fox News. Exactly. Yeah, that's scary. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, quite a quite a she does tie it up the story. You are left God. <laughs> yeah, terrible, right. Well, terrible. well, you mentioned all those stories were predated, obviously, what's going on now. And I, I can't help but wonder if with all these submissions you're getting now are you getting flooded with covid related stories or pandemic stories or uh... well there are quite a few that are pent and there are a lot and then there are a lot that are generally about um which are is clearly inspired by the pandemic yeah. even, or influenced by the pandemic not directly about and i think those stories are the ones more likely to buy now than anything directly about a pandemic right now because right. you can reflect on it look at it from a perspective maybe afterward as opposed to being right it's a lot harder to actually a story especially a science fiction story about something that's happening right now but um but i am saying in fact even uh, one story i just bought from jim gunn he says he knows it was influenced by his isolation and he's 95 well 95 or 96 just, and, i think he's, yeah i think it's I think he, 96 maybe. yeah i think he just had his birthday in, yeah, in july so he's been very ice and so that he was already going to tell a certain story, but it influenced mm-hmm. how this. Is so that the oldest author you've ever bought a story from? You know, I want, I've been, I because I have worked with some other. You know, he maybe. Um, I've worked well, with other authors. Jack Williamson oh. never made it to ninety-six. I don't think. Okay, then I work with Nelson Bond and Jack Williamson. I can't. I know I've, I worked with some Bond, but wow. he was probably about the same age as Jack Williamson. Um, could be. I mean, Jim's wonderful. He keeps sending stuff, and it's all really <laughs> interesting. So I have a nonfiction too that's coming out, and you know, he's definitely on, still on top of things. Oh yeah, I talked to him about a year ago. I wrote an introduction for his master's thesis. Um, oh right, right. Uh, so uh, it's, it's it's just amazing that he keeps going as well as he does. We're past our time, as I knew we would be, but it's just absolutely delightful chatting. Um, again, uh, this is Gary Wolf. It's um, the Coot Street Podcast. I've been talking to Sheila Williams, and thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you so much. This is quite a pleasure. <laughs>